3: For just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. Now Magazine is not quite dead. Its co-founder, Alice Klein, is actually optimistic about the newspaper's future. After she sold her formerly fiercely independent Toronto Alt Weekly to a company called Media Central for a sum no greater than $2 million, she said that Now's new owners are a young, ambitious, tech-savvy media company that has bold plans to extend Now's iconoclastic voice and commitment to serving, delighting, and empowering those who question the status quo. But the company that she's talking about, Media Central, they describe themselves and their plans for Now Magazine quite differently. They call themselves... A company consolidating the currently fragmented independent and alternative media markets strategically positioned to become a competitive global media publishing company, serving the rising creative class demographic. And when it comes to Now Magazine, they say that they plan to unite the influencers, tastemakers, and cultural leaders of the world by integrating our cannabis publication, cancentral.com with nowtoronto.com, which provides us with marketing and editorial synergies. This is just a taste of what's to come as we continue to build relevant digital publications and buy quality alternative properties. So now magazine's content and the content of whatever other alt-weeklies this media central company can scoop up for bargain prices, all of that will be leveraged to feed eyeballs into cannabis marketing. Look, it could have been worse. Now might have met the fate of other alt-weeklies, like the Montreal Mirror, which was sold for scrap to an Australian sex toy retailer. A retailer who, according to former Montreal Mirror editor Mark Slutsky, exhumed its corpse and used it as a sock puppet, deleting the Montreal Mirror's years of archives, except for a few sex articles, which they reposted next to vibrator ads. Let's not get sentimental here, though. Alt-weeklies were never supposed to be respectable. And they always used journalism and, and cultural reporting to push eyeballs towards sex ads and the like. And as these alternative news weeklies all but disappear, we don't really hear a lot of pearl-clutching about the invaluable role they play to society. Maybe we should. You know, alt-weeklies were a thing. They kind of mattered. They gave a start to journalists like David Carr, ta Coates, Dan Savage. Closer to home, you've got Matt Galloway and Naomi Klein. Alt-weeklies were important in, in building music scenes. They were often the only progressive media source in a given town. And yeah, they were a place that sex workers could advertise, which meant for a lot of sex workers that they didn't have to advertise their services by standing on the street which kept those sex workers a bit more safe. Paying for journalism with sex ads was itself kind of unsafe. Now's publishers were charged with prostitution for daring to run those ads. You know those sexy ads in the personal columns?
0: Well, they've got the cops reading the riot act to some newspaper editors.
2: Publisher Michael Hollett and his weekly newspaper called Now have been criminally charged with, quote, communicating for the purpose of engaging in prostitution. But they
3: fought those charges and they kept right on with the ads and they weren't ashamed to do so. It was a point of principle and a point of pride. And it was very much in line with the subversive ethos of alternative newspapers themselves. So it's kind of sad to see these papers unceremoniously sold for scrap. Instead, let's see them ceremoniously sold for scrap Joining me in our studio for today's ceremony is Michael Hollett, the co-founder and former co-owner of Now Magazine and a former defendant against prostitution charges, later dropped. Michael sold his stake in Now a few years ago to his ex-wife and co-founder, the aforementioned Alice Klein. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by James Braithwaite, Kelvin Abong, Ronald Limcompow, Jonah Mitchell, Sean LaRose, Melinda Kretz, Stephen Urquhart, and Paul Wells. My name is Paul Wells. I live in Ottawa, and I'm a senior writer for McLean's magazine. I support Canada Land because the world is going to hell in a handcart, and that certainly
2: includes our industry, journalism. It's in a long term crisis, and one of the rare effective crossroads for different opinions and genuinely different inputs on all of these crucial debates is the Canada land family of fine podcasts and websites.
3: So even though he can be a titanic pain in the ass, Jesse is providing a massive public service and I'm happy to support. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. Hi, Michael. (laughs) Hi. What was an Alt Weekly, and why did it matter?
0: Alt-Weekly's truly were an alternative to the existing mainstream media. And the mainstream media was bloated and having a wonderful time raking in the dough and could do whatever they wanted. We just shined a light on things that were being left in the dark. You know, it was just sort of getting the information out was really in, in the most... Political thing in a way, it was, it was just impossible for people to be heard and get their get the worded about their events. So by simply doing that was pretty radical because we had we cast our net much wider and we we, we found things worth noting that they didn't.
3: I remember all Weekly's writ large as this sort of like this network, this layer of communication. Like the first thing I would do if I was visiting a new city or if I was like my parents dragged me to some place was like I got to get my hands on like what's the local one. Yep. And every city would have one or two fighting each other. And that's how you would just sort of get a sense of like, there were no other places for bands to, the listings were a big part of it. Huge. Yeah, I think for me and maybe for a lot of people, it's as you grow up, you find them as some sort of a passport, a secret language spoken amongst, it was aspirational when you're like 12 or 13, this is what like college age people are doing or whatever. And and I flipped past the news part of it, you know? It was like, there are other people like me because you wouldn't see it. And you know, the Toronto Star was for like, the suburban breakfast table hmm. and this was something that was like there are others and it would tell me what to read and what to what what, what to check out and what was going on but it was interesting because there was like there was a uniformity that every city would have one and where you'd find them and the fact that they were free a lot of it seemed to be kind of like this is the formula for this but they were independent
0: yeah, for a long time. And we all learned from each other. That's part of what it was. I mean, I, I went to my first alternative newspaper conference in 1984. It was at the Village Voice, but the Village Voice wasn't even a member because they didn't join because Murdoch owned them and for a variety of reasons. But we had it there anyway. We weren't members. And they actually would, they turned us down when we applied because we weren't political enough. Oh, really? Yeah, and I tried to make the point that supporting independent culture, especially in Canada, because we're so dominated by Americans, is political and they patted me on the head and said, That's sweet, get lost.
3: The Association of Alternative Newsweeklies was a politicized like you had to meet their standards of, of, of being sufficiently progressive and radical?
0: Hundred percent, yeah. And we were bad at like we were pricks about letting people join. Like it was
3: You were a prick about letting once
0: people Once we got in. <laughs> once I got in, I joined them in being a...
3: You fought to keep uh, the Montreal Mirror out because they were owned by Quebecor.
0: I was very, very adamant about that to the point where I was a very rude guest because they actually hosted the alternative newspaper conference one year. They were hosting it, and then they got sold in that, leading up to the hosting. So, of course, I got up and I was... the asshole that said we should kick them out <laughs> i did not succeed apparently there's literally a picture of me in their office with the darts in it but i was pretty hardcore i mean obviously we were dealing with a faux alternative newspaper for decades in toronto with the toronto star great people who worked, worked at work that i like wonderful writers and journalists but it was still owned by you know one of the we, biggest we cannot publishers.
3: take for granted that people even remember i magazine yeah. so the toronto star had a, its now magazine rival when it because there, there was a buck being made and that's after they tried and failed to buy Now.
0: I don't think they had even made an offer at that point.
3: They started I before John Hendrick ever offered to buy Now magazine? Like, I came first? Yes. And then what? I guess it wasn't working out, so we tried to buy Now?
0: Then he went thug on me. He actually, he threatened me. He wouldn't publish us if we didn't sell him part of Now. It was disgusting. We had a lunch with him, Alice and I, and he and... We were a huge customer of his. We spent millions and millions of dollars getting printed by the, a company owned by the star. The star had bought them. So I thought, oh, we were, here's our little lunch to thank his client, you know, who writes some of these huge checks. And instead, he said he wouldn't print us anymore unless we sold him part of the paper. didn't have to be all of it right then, but we had to sell him some or he wouldn't print us. And I made him repeat it three times. It was so bizarre. It
3: sounds like an antitrust violation.
0: Totally. I mean, you know, yeah, exactly. It was, it was totally thuggish.
3: What size did he want to buy?
0: I mean, you know, I just humored him. I mean, it's like, whatever, you know, sure, we'll talk about it, you know. Like, as he so kindly said, it didn't have to be over 50% to begin with. He just wanted some. He goes, why should I print you? You're their competition. I said, well, I've been dealing with writing you a check as my competition for years, and I made peace with it. So is this going to be the issue?
3: Was it a principal thing for you? You would never sell?
0: I would definitely not sell. I mean, why would we sell? We were making money. We were doing what we liked. We had employed close to 100 people. It was great.
3: Would it be fair to say that it then became a point of obsessive focus for you to destroy I?
0: I had already begun that process (laughs) (laughs) when they started. And it's because of of other people in the alternative newspaper media said you have to take this shit seriously.
3: I'm told of a weekly ritual where you would go through I, rip up the pages, like that it was just, uh, you talk about other places having a dartboard with your face on it, like I was in your crosshairs.
0: I just remember at a certain point saying, we need to pay more attention to this. You know, yes, we're better, but so what? There's always something to learn. We go through every page of now at every editorial meeting. We would scrutinize it, comment, feedback, like every page. And so we added I eye to that ritual. And then my position always was, whichever paper was the worst paper it would be torn up. And so I would always conclude they were worse and give it a tear. It was also if it was thin enough that I could do that. If it got too thick to tear, it would be an issue. You couldn't tear now.
3: You're describing like a, like a alien planet. I mean, even, even when you said it's a place for alternative politics and alternative ideas, even the, the phrase alternative, I think, is one that you can't take for granted that people even understand that. I mean, we're, we're in an entrepreneurial environment right now where the idea of getting acquired by a major company is the goal. It's why people start. So I don't know if you're saying that independence was a political principle or if it was just something that was not necessary for you because you were viable and, and making money on your own.
0: It was absolutely principle because our position was, you know, the power of the press was with those who owned it. And, you know, and that's just the way it, it goes. Constantly issues would come up where commerce and principle were going head to head and, and we got to pick which one we wanted. And usually it was almost always principle, I think. I mean, someone will no doubt find an example. But in our minds, we were we didn't care. We were, being more, we were more successful than we kind of ever counted on anyway. So it was like if we lose some ads because of this big deal. We get to feel good about what we're printing.
3: It's easier to be principled when you're like firmly in the black and a co owner of, of, of the whole thing.
0: Thousand percent.
3: What percentage of that was uh, sex ads?
0: Mm, I would have a hard time telling it. It was not nearly what people thought. And it also, it costs us tons of money too because there were people that wouldn't advertise with us because of it. We'd hear that all the time. We would, there's places that wouldn't carry us.
3: I think that's been le- levied at you as an accusation. I'm just curious. Like, mm-hmm. I think obviously- I
0: didn't hear it that way, no.
3: That uh, this was a place before the internet where sex workers could advertise. Mm-hmm. And when you went to photos in the ads, it seemed like that was, there's like two things like music listings and sex listings seemed like a big part of why people picked it up and how it made money.
0: Absolutely. You know, and funny thing on the, on the graphics and the sex ads, we didn't take graphics and sex ads. And it was the goddamn Toronto Star that finally made us do it because they were taking them. And we resisted and we resisted. And finally, oh, Christ, I guess we got to do it. Like it, it was, So it's kind of funny. You still
3: refer to I as the Toronto Star. Was that like an old habit?
0: Well, it was the Toronto Star, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> they just put a little label.
3: I know people bought hard liquid romance novels and didn't say the Toronto Star. You know. <laughs> I, understand. I would. Yeah. You were you were charged with prostitution, yes, for for uh, your role in publishing the escort ads at the back of Now.
0: Yeah, we felt that it was a principle too. We thought we actually believe, and I do believe, that, that advertising made it safer for sex workers because it uh, cut down on street solicitation, which is obviously the most dangerous way to do it. and And this was what sex workers told us themselves. They said this made a huge difference for mm-hmm.
3: us. It's interesting because I think about what works and what's profitable in media, and, and and what what a model is. And you know, like I say, there's such a there's such an emphasis and such a the rise of things like vice makes people think this way and that uh, you must be driving towards trying to trying to sell this thing and that's the only that, that that's the positive happy ending to this
0: never understood that if you love what you're doing and you can do it and there's gas in the engine is the fuel of the advertise you know the advertising revenue why would you
3: or or people think that if you're not going to sell to the big guy you want to be the big guy so you're obviously going to branch out and build an empire and launch in in, in different cities people have when they think about media they think about that and i i always like well what about just like running a successful and uh viable and you know hopefully you know substantial company that does something that's good for for as long as you possibly can and the story of the we of now specifically but of like a smattering of alt weeklies across north america and probably beyond is kind of the last thing you could point to is the time when it was possible to have you know, a clubhouse mentality and and have like a kind of careers over jobs even and just kind of keep it going. And it seems like it was pretty lucrative for for you and Alice who owned the thing. What about that idea? Were you ever under pressure to like go and... I mean, you did try to launch one in Ottawa at one
0: point. We did launch for like a year there, yeah.
3: Did you have designs on Empire?
0: You know, not really. Like it was sort of... I, I wanted... You know, this is my ego. I thought we could make other papers better. Like I I like that idea of sort of sharing resources and helping people get better. Another, But but an issue we ran into, sort of going into big media terms, was you don't want to be the one, only one in your category in terms of national advertising. People always wanted us to be, okay, what's the other now? You know, and there were burgeoning ones and there were attempts, but, you know, there weren't that many that were great, to be the terrible thing to say. But, like, the national advertising, they needed there to be more sure. of us. So that was sort of, we weren't really, our heart wasn't really in it. And, you know, what happened in Ottawa was they got, the publishers there got better. Well, good on them. Great. So if all we helped do was make the readers in Ottawa get a, somehow get a better publication indirectly by our yeah. effort, that's that's fine too. Like I, I, I was really happy just having now.
3: One part that we haven't discussed yet is the role that it played in the media ecosystem for writers and contributors. You know, alternative weeklies were... A lot of journalists' first paid gig, a lot of photographers' first paid gig, critics. The idea, I think, to a lot of people, high school, university, of like getting paid money to report something for a newspaper was like a very foreign concept and very difficult to even know how you would begin or where you would pitch. But the Newsweekly somehow felt more familiar and I just you know would know in Toronto and in Montreal people who would just kind of show up with an idea and mm-hmm. next thing you know, they would be a paid writer.
0: Right, yeah, we were open to that for sure. But I wasn't actually into the idea of just being a training ground and, and cycling through writers. I was actually determined not to, to do that.
3: Well, tell me about that. I I should just use this uh, opportunity for like mentorship uh, advice (laughs) because I think that the dynamics are kind of similar where you're kind of set up in opposition to the mainstream media, but then, you know, like they were uh, interested in your talent pool.
0: Yes. And, well, you know, early when we became successful, we started using the star contract to set our rates. Like we, we didn't get poached, you know. I mean, John Kaplan wrote now magazine until he passed you know cameron bailey got stolen to it by tiff well mm-hmm. i can accept that if you're going to leave working for my paper and you're going to become the director of one of the biggest film festivals in the world that's cool matt is going to leave become host of, of here and now perfect those are the two bigger ones that i lost i suppose
3: but if they had went to work for the toronto star or something i would not have been happy because rates have fallen so low especially if you're talking about freelance contributors mm-hmm. The idea that you could have exclusivity on somebody, you know, everyone just writes for everyone. Right. And it was weird because you, 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 there were the bylines in now and not just now in in other cities, the bylines, you would not see those people doing the media circuit the same way. They would not be in other publications, nor would they be on the radio that much or like on CBC. Like it really was like not very porous. Like this was its own Mm -hmm. clubhouse of media contributors.
0: I wanted wanted this to be the big league in a sense. I didn't, want, I didn't want it to sort of have to be the cool job you did for a while, then you had to get your grown-up job to be yeah. able to buy a house or something. When someone had now bought a house, we'd send them flowers. We, we were so happy like, you know, when they could prosper with us. You know, We have a pension plan that's kicking in for people to, you know, pretty soon. You know? and yeah. you know, It was great to be a great employer when we had the resources to do it all those years.
3: All right, I'm going to go through a bit more lore. Was Now Magazine ever robbed at gunpoint?
0: Yes. <laughs> Can you
3: tell me about that?
0: I shouldn't laugh. and I'm, I'm chuckling only because it sounds crazy. It was terrifying for the people that it yeah, happened to. I, sure. was, I wasn't there. You can imagine a lot of the, the sex worker ads were paid in cash. Right. So we would have a lot of cash. So somebody finally figured that out and came in with a gun and yeah, it was an armed robbery. It was terrifying and I'm, you know, I'm sorry that people went through it. So we, And we instantly responded and we basically changed it and we ended up using money marts.
3: That must have really had uh, an interesting impact on on office culture to have people coming in and, and paying for ads with cash like that, and mm-hmm. having that kind of connection to sex workers in the city and other people. Very it was
0: close, awesome. But, it yeah. really it normalized things, humanized, you know, made every yeah. just become part of it. And we had and we had kids in our offices, you know, and all the time and stuff, you know, all the things you'd expect. So it was just yeah, it was just part of the life in yeah. Toronto, which we, I you know I loved that. So what killed it? The greedy period didn't help. We were always trying to get more of a. A national and international sales network and a lot of resource sharing and stuff. But the burgeoning chain builders were against that. They kind of kept scuttling our effort to sort of... Because
3: they wanted economies of scale that they own.
0: They wanted to be the ad network, but it would just be for their group. Yeah. It got to be this really weird thing, man. It was like some terrible uh, high school dance where like, if you weren't being courted by one or other of the two chains, you sort of felt like, well, what's wrong? <laughs> Even though you thought it was a bad thing.
3: It's interesting because people always think about like when the when the model collapses as the problem time, but you can sometimes in retrospect pinpoint like when times were good and mm-hmm. everyone was making hey, that's when we had our opportunity to somehow do something and I hear you saying that like something could have been done that is better than what was done, but if that had been done would it have made a, di- a difference?
0: well yes because it would have had a digital face to it too yeah and I that, mean, that's
3: the thing is like could you have made the transition somehow
0: yeah like we were I mean we were online in 1994, like it now. Like uh-huh. We got in early, like a lot of people did. And <laughs> there's always these legendary stories. So the guy that had the paper in San Jose, what did he do when this internet thing started? He went out and bought Toronto.com, Boston.com. He bought every city.com and he's basically retired on that he just sort of sold them off over the years right? because <laughs> he was alerted to it but we could have created some kind of great digital platform you know we, to, for the all weeklies of north america yeah. and then subdivided to and Canada. it would have been great i wish we had done that
3: what do you think of what's happened to your now magazine
0: i mean i love now magazine obviously i love the legacy of it and mostly what i love is the community that it's been able to reflect all these years and the community around it and that, that it and sort of, we were only ever a mirror, right? Like it was just, it's always, what we're seeing is you in us, you know? And so that part of it is spectacular and I've always loved that. My story has a ribbon on it in a sense. It's from 81 to 2016, you know you know what I mean? And, and sort of, in terms of my experience of sort of being able to directly impact on now. In terms of the legacy of now, I think the legacy will, will always be there. I mean, it did what it did and that can never be changed. Could it still do that? Well, no, I mean... Was it, is that model even savable? I don't know. I mean, I you know I have certainly have ideas, things that I might have done, you know, like, obviously, people like yourself, myself, we always muse about, I muse about what I would do with Canada Land if I was running it, you know what I mean? So, of course, I had ideas about about now, but basically, you know, there's, there's a fundamental challenge, is a listings-based print publication, that's a challenge, because, you know, we got a piece of glass in our pocket that has information in current time, you know, so that's, One of the guys at the Rivoli told me, you know, he was sort of talking about how he'd seen things change. And he said, you know, there used to be a lineup at your empty rack on Thursday mornings. And I I talked to the circulation folks, and they tell me that they'd go into a venue and people would start cheering, you know, when they had the bundles over their shoulders. But we had a monopoly on that information. You know, that's a huge, thing, and it's a huge difference. I mean, I remember, I mean, this is ridiculous, but I remember literally thinking, well, we'll be fine as long as they don't find a way to make something that's the size of a magazine, you know, magazine that has all that digital capacity. Oh.
3: <laughs> it's kind of interesting to note as well that all of the things that we care about or that journalists care about and publishers care about in terms of the coverage in a publication and the voice and holding up a mirror to people, but the practicality is kind of like crude, like we tell people where the concerts are and where to find a sex worker. And if something else does that better, then that, then that other stuff goes away.
0: I was cleaning boxes or whatever, and I found an old notebook of mine, like from 1982 or something like that, and I, and I had some note that said, you know, our deal is no matter how you feel about the politics or ideas, You'll still get the best listings in the city, no matter what. Like, right-wingers can read this paper. You know, they might hold their nose, but they're going to do it because it's going to tell you who's at the horseshoe or who's at the science center or whatever the hell, whatever it is they're looking for. And that, that was our deal. Like, that was sort of like, you'll put up with us maybe bringing in new ideas or weird shit or putting someone on the cover. You don't really know who they are yet. But if those listings are there, you'll pick us up. But once we lost you lose control of that there's got to be other reasons Yeah, you know and I hopefully I mean I think now has other really like I'm not at all criticizing now I mean I think that there are other reasons to pick it up and I think that the challenge for anyone operating in print is to come up with new ones you know and I definitely spend time thinking about what that might look like Michael thank you thank you Jesse really great talking with you appreciate it and congratulations on Canada land it really is important
3: thank you congratulations on now That is your Canada Land episode. If you liked it, you can tell someone about it. You can you can write a review on Apple Podcasts. We like it when you do those things. You can email me about it at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything that you send us. We're on Twitter at Canada Land. Our website is canadalandshow.com. Listen, happy holidays. Uh, we will be dropping a classic Canada Land episode next week. And then we will be sharing some of our colleagues' best work over the holidays. And I will see you in 2020. This episode is produced by Jordan Cornish. Kasia Mihailovich is our senior producer. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton. Syndication is handled by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like the show and, and you want to get ad-free versions of our podcasts, or if you'd like to give that to somebody else in your life who likes our shows and would like ad-free versions of them, you can gift them or yourself at patreon.com CanadaLand. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land, and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs, we're about to have news closures. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you.